Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, Lenten Preaching Edition, the ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church, recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. Good afternoon, everyone. Oh, y'all. I know some of you have been fasting, you're feeling a little tired, but I am a preacher in the black church tradition, and we do this thing called call and response. So let me try this one more time. Good afternoon, everyone. Much better. Oh, what a joy it is to be with you on this auspicious occasion, celebrating the 100th anniversary of the Lenten preaching series here at Calvary. I wonder if you might pray with me. God of our foremothers and forefathers, we thank you for this moment of pause. Pause in a busy week to reflect on and meditate on the question of where our help comes from. God, may your Holy Spirit blow through like a wind through this place. Let me decrease so your presence might increase and a word might be spoken that will inspire and uplift today. Amen. So just for a few moments this afternoon, I'd like to preach on the subject, Grandma's Hands. Grandma's Hands. When Granny passed two years ago, we all descended upon her home about two and a half hours north of here in Cairo, Illinois. My grandmother's house was a space full of love and stories and secrets. Whether it was the quilting squares that reminded us of the passed down tradition that her grandmother and her grandmother and her grandmother had taught to my grandmother, or the leftover deep freezer full of collard greens and turnip greens and pole beans that were fought over fiercely after her death. But the object that caught my attention more most was her Bible sitting next to her hospice bed in almost the same location where her daughter's Bible had sat next to her hospice bed five years before my mother. The thing about my grandmother's Bible is that it was not a pristine object kept on the shelf but a real and living document that she wrestled with daily. I began to meditate on the hands that had held that Bible. In the words of that great troubadour from West Virginia, the late Bill Withers, grandma's hands clapped at church on Sunday morning. Indeed, my grandma's hands played the tambourine so well. Grandma's hands issued out a warning don't you run so fast, might fall on a piece of glass, might be some snakes there, metaphorically and in the world, in that grass. My grandmother, Harriet Payton's hands worked the cane fields in southern Georgia. They also broke off switches from a tree when her grandchildren got out of order. They rolled out dumpling dough and pie crust. They buried two of her children before her. And they marked up her Bible. Highlights and pen marks dominated. You see, just like my mother's Bible, for the women of my family, 
that sacred text was not something to be trifled with lightly, but something to be lived in, something to be wrestled with, something to be embraced and thrown and sat with. And there was no book of the Bible more highlighted for my grandmother and my mom than the book of Psalms. There's something about the Psalter that awakens our imagination. I was reminded of this a few weeks ago as I was scrolling, I'm a millennial, y'all, so I was scrolling through my Instagram uh, and a dear seminary colleague's grandmother had also recently passed and he posted a picture of her Bible and highlighted in that Bible was this morning's passage of scripture. Psalm 121, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? And so I found myself being curious and opened up my mama's Bible. And there, marked up to a T, was that same passage of scripture. So what is it about this text that has so awakened the imagination of black women throughout generations? Women who, in the case of both my seminary classmates and my, my grandmother, had survived the terror of Jim and Jane Crow, who had worked their hands to the bone and as sharecroppers and whew, keepers of family that were torn asunder. I believe that part of the reason why this scripture speaks to us so much is that for those of us who have been called not only to survive but thrive in conditions that have been constructed against our flourishing, there is something about a notion of the divine that answers when we cry out for help in a world that does not. See, as I was reflecting on this season of Lent, we know that Lent can be about many things. I heard Becca Stevens last week call Lent a time of revival. In my tradition, it's also a time of recommitment to spiritual disciplines. But I might suggest to you this morning that Lent is also a time for meditation on our mortality and the mortality of Jesus. And these 40 days leading up to Good Friday, we are reminded of the humanness of our Savior, of the Christ. And I might argue, too, that there is no text more in tune with the humanness and the state of the human condition than our Psalter. The psalmists get mad at God. They yell. They have laments. They share their joys. They share their concerns. They share everything. What's so powerful is that the book of Psalms reminds us that the psalmic person often, in the words of Walter Brueggemann, performs the drama of covenantal relationship, ranging from initial praise and obedience through complaint and petition and confession to thanks for a new life. It is the text that reminds us of our humanness in the midst of a world, particularly for those from my family, for whom our humanness has been systematically denied. The biblical scholar, Will Gaffney, shares with us that Psalm 121 is a particular text. The psalmist never tells us why she lifts her eyes to the hills or even what hills she's talking about. 
that it's clear that the help that the psalmist seeks is that which is a particular specialty of God. Dr. Gaffney writes that the word ezer in the biblical Hebrew or help is familiar to some folks from the phrase Ebenezer, for example, but is rarely used for humans, with very few exceptions. The psalmist goes on to describe a God who is so protective that neither sun nor moon can touch us. It is a vision of God who is primarily there to keep us in verse 7 and preserve us from all evil and harm. But here's the thing. We do come to harm in this life. Whether it's the minor harm of a sunburn, in the words of Dr. Gaffney, or the greater harms inflicted upon us by a broken world. I imagine over the last month alone, mothers in Turkey and Syria asking the question with 50,000 lives lost, where is my help coming from? When I think about victims of gun violence and mass shootings from Michigan State University to Tate County, Mississippi, to 11 people shot right here in Memphis in February, the question of where our help comes from must be at the tip of their tongues. When I think about folks who are struggling in this moment with lives of addiction and situations of domestic violence, folks who are struggling to know how to feed their family in a world where inflation is crazy and help doesn't seem to come. Where does our help come from? In the words of the psalmist, our help comes from God, yes. And I believe that. I'm a living witness to that. But I also believe that in this moment, in this moment of world history where so much is obviously broken, that our help at its best comes when we, as a community, come together and see that our problems are not separate, but inextricably linked. That the issues happening in the center of Memphis aren't so far away from the issues happening in places like my hometown of the south side of Chicago, right? And in my grandmother's hometown of 2,000 people not too far from here, from urban to rural communities, the core issues, the core challenges that we are facing cannot be faced alone. I'm reminded of the words of the late Desmond Tutu who said, we are not fully human alone. We are made for interdependence. Yet in a world that would have us believe, that would have us believe that we are more divided and isolated than ever before, the psalmist speaks to us and cries out to us in this moment to seek out indeed our help from God, but also to see the reflection of God in one another. And that's not easy, y'all. Again, I tell you, I'll be scrolling on my Instagram. I read my Twitter feeds. I'm a very astute follower of the news. <laughs> the reports are grim. Division is the word of the day. Every other month, I feel like there is some new article coming out about whether or not we are on the precipice of another civil war in this country. We might be. 
I don't know. But what I do know is that for those of us called to be witness to this gospel, for those of us called to step more fully into the witness that is the life and ministry and gospel of Jesus and his disciples, both the named disciples and those women who were the first people to show up at the tomb. Don't forget about the women. We are called in this season to see our hands, not just as idle objects, but those are the very, as the very instruments that can help us rebuild and reimagine a future. Not that is far off or distant, but that we can build together. We can't do that, of course, without acknowledging some of the past harms and divisions that have been at the core of seeing ourselves as separate in this country. We can't do that without naming and acknowledging the very systems that led my mom to an early grave at 63 years old from cancer because the healthcare system didn't believe her when she first got sick. The very same systems that are still operative today when I think and fear for my two-year-old son growing up as the child of an AME minister and Jewish psychotherapist at a time I'm going to be good at the interfaith conversation. Come out, come out later. <laughs> I live it every day. Um, at a time of rising anti-blackness and anti-Semitism, living in the South with its rich and complicated history around both of those things. And I say this now as I will share publicly as somebody who is four months along carrying a new baby. <laughs> My robe didn't fit, so thank you all for letting me borrow one today. <laughs> but who sees this process of gestating new life, in the words of one of my mentors, the Reverend Dr. Emily Towns, as a sign of radical hope, as the belief that there is something beyond for us to be aspiring for in this season. The question is, how we'll use those hands, just like my grandma used her hands, to, still, to till the soil for a better future, recognizing that we may not get there, we may not see the fruits of our labor, but it is in the very work of working side by side to prepare the ground. I don't know about you, I'm glad I don't have to see it all. I'm glad there is something bigger than me. I'm glad that my help <laughs> will have a vision of it all. It gives me a little piece to take care of, not the rest. In that vision of sewing together, I invite us during this season of Lent, this season of radical meditation and reflection on our mortality to think about what it is we want to leave behind. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The Calvary Podcast theme music was composed by Spence Bailey. Special thanks to Robin Banks, Director of Communications at Calvary, and Heidi Rupke, Lenten Preaching Series Coordinator. And thanks to you for listening. If you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates. 
or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them, and that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.